This episode is not sponsored, but we encourage you to help support the small businesses, charities and organisations that we mention. and welcome back to another episode of our circle I'm Rhiannon I'm Jess and today we are joined with a very special guest we have a woman who is a Tamil woman Tamil woman you got that right yes who is passionate about fighting for social and political justice hopes one day that her law degrees plural people plural (laughs) will come in handy to support her ambition she thoroughly enjoys pinterest and in her free time tries to make those boards come to life she's an avid taylor swift fan i know we've got a lot of those listening and she is a beloved cat mom please will you welcome ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between ravina thank you guys for having me (laughs) i feel like that was the longest intro i've done but i nailed it (laughs) you did you really did Thank you so much for coming on this episode. It's so lovely to have you. I met you a year ago in Dubai, and it's so lovely to be able to have someone that's so new in my life come on the on the podcast, and Jess is getting to meet for the first time. Thank you guys for having me. I just wanted to start off with, because I'm meeting you for the first time, can you tell us a bit more about why you chose the law profession? And can you tell us about your role? What sort of sector of law are you in? So initially, actually, I wanted to do become a journalist but coming from a very conservative sort of uh, brown daisy family like my Tamil family I'm not joking when I tell you guys my dad took two years to finally accept the fact that I was actually going to study law and not (laughs) medicine or engineering (laughs) like every other kid I'm not joking it actually took him two years to kind of grasp that and (laughs) but it's okay I do really enjoy it and um so I wanted to become a journalist so as to be a voice really mm. and kind of sort of cover stories that need to be highlighted for the society and since I couldn't really do that I don't feel like I was forced into having a career shift but I did uh, research a lot on how else I can actually do what I want to do and I picked law so when I was researching about doing law I read this one article I I can't really remember who wrote it but they were talking about what it was to be a legal professional and they said it kind of like empowers them every day to give voice to the vulnerable people of the society and that's actually why I wanted to do law and hopefully that's what I end up doing in my career yeah that would be I just think it's amazing because you are someone who is so outspoken um on social media about different human rights and things like that and I just think it's great that you're doing something with your career to sort of try and further those and to answer Jess's question currently I'm not in the field that I see myself working uh, in the long run so I work in the commercial sector I work Mm -hmm. for a company, so it's more corporate work. I deal with disputes within the company or um, with other companies and stuff like that, really, just NDAs and basic stuff. But I'm really glad that I do get to do what I do right now because I feel like it's quite important to have some sort of commercial awareness, especially given the time and age we live in. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know for a fact, if I did not have this job, I probably would not have considered having any sort of commercial awareness well I mean you live live in Dubai as well like what could be more commercial than everywhere that's in Dubai right now 
you would think that, but <laughs> you would really think that. But uh, no. So when I remember when we were in uni, especially the law graduates, we were forced sort of to download podcasts. We uh, followed Twitter pages that actually would make us commercially aware because we actually did not know what was going on other than our textbooks. So right. I probably mm. would have still been in that bubble. So I'm really glad I am doing what I'm doing right now. So what, what, what route is it that you want to go in then if you're not in the route that you want to go in? Um, probably something with human rights, definitely. Right. And I've always wanted to go into family law. And I know it's a very jarring and a very stressful po- position to take up. I, I worked pro bono for three clinics in the UK mm-hmm. and we did family cases. And it's just so hard to separate emotion from mm. your actual work. But yeah. hopefully one day I will get the strength to actually do that. I guess it comes with time and experience and hopefully one day. Yeah, I do I definitely it- want to get into family law though. Wow, mm. that's so difficult. I think it like and it's such an admirable job because, like you said, it's so difficult to separate emotion from from things like that. Something that's so important as well, where it's like you have to, you have to keep your emotions in check. Mm. Yeah, no, it's. Crazy. I also, I also think it's amazing that you you're so you come across as a very confident person who knows what they believe in, and mm. to have that kind of strength and already know what you want from such a young age because you obviously would have had to have decided a few years ago what you wanted to study Mm. and read into doing law and things like that I think that's quite amazing I personally was very lost and still kind of am I'm still figuring out what I would want to be but the fact that you've got these kind of like innate need to like Mm. help people and you know I think that's really admirable really Mm. admirable so why did you decide to study in the UK and where, where did you study, by the way? Are you allowed to, you can say that, can uh, yeah, yeah, Middlesex, London. Basically, I when I enrolled uh, to study law, I chose Middlesex for the Dubai campus because um, at the time, my father was living away from us for work and I hadn't seen him for a bit. So uh, he was working in Dubai then. Mm-hmm. So I thought joining in Dubai, that would be fun and I would get to live with my dad once again but unfortunately that did not work out because as soon as I did get my acceptance uh, into Middlesex Dubai my parents moved to Scotland and they were there for (laughs) the better part of four to five years so uh, that's actually the main reason I moved to um, England because I wanted to be closer to them I'm I'm an only child so it was just really weird Um, and I was also like why are they running away from me (laughs) Yeah, it was, it was really weird. And I was 17 when I started uni. So I kind of still okay. wanted to. Yeah, we, we graduate soon in the Indian system, okay. educational system. Right. Yeah, it, it wasn't like an accomplishment. It just oh. outworks. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so that's why I moved to England. And since I had already started in Middlesex, they offered me a transfer program, which was really great. And I thoroughly 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 enjoyed my entire time in England so much so that I did not have a break year I literally wanted to stay in the country longer so I just went ahead and did the master's I was like nope I'm not leaving yet oh not my kicking God. me out yet no <laughs> wow <laughs> so how does that work so um you studied law in the UK is it hard to study law in one country and then practice it in another where the laws are different or how does that work so the thing is the UK teaches us common law which is which basically covers every country and personally yeah personally just 
in my personal opinion to anyone watching I feel like um, in law school they just teach you to hone your skills like research drafting stuff like that stuff you basically need to be a lawyer or just work in the legal profession regardless of which country you go to you're not going to remember the law actual statute section wise that you've studied okay. in school okay so thank god for google so you know <laughs> <laughs> i feel like as long as you have um, learned the skills that you basically need you're you're okay actually practicing and like i said just researching on the law of the country you're in this is such a this is like a really really probably out there analogy of it but I was like okay so it's like learning how to cook and then you just have different ingredients in different countries basically basically that <laughs> yeah basically that yeah like a lot more than that <laughs> <laughs> but luckily there's only uh, two um, legal systems so that's the there's the common law one okay the UK teaches us and then there's civil law which is followed in America so most of the other countries kind of you know developed from these so it's quite oh, okay. easily manipulatable so I thought I would maybe go back to India because I did really really think I would go back to India to qualify in India because obviously I wanted to go back um, and India since they were under the British rule we still practice common law and that's the reason I specifically chose a UK university oh, and I not see. a US university right okay that makes a lot of sense <laughs> just for <Yeah. laughs> makes a lot of sense so but when did you um when did you move from so you've lived in you've you've sort of lived quite a lot of places from what I'm I, I'm aware yeah. of yeah yeah so um as soon as I finished high school since I was uh, 16 and a half at the time they wouldn't let me join uni understandably they said I would have to do a foundation course and I didn't necessarily need it it was just a time gap so I moved this to Malaysia was that was that wait was this in Dubai or was this in India this was in Dubai so I oh, okay, did fine. apply to India but um like I said I wanted to move closer with my dad I did not right. take up the Indian route I right. wanted to move to where my dad was so since I was 16 and a half they wouldn't let me in university and I didn't necessarily want to do a foundation course so I had eight months and at the time my dad was working in Malaysia so I lived in Malaysia for eight months. My friends lived there for two years. So that was practically home back and forth for summers and winter breaks whenever. Right. And then I moved to Dubai for a year and a half. And then I moved to London for a year and a half. <laughs> and then I moved to Leeds for a year and a half to finish my master's. Oh my and then God. I'm back in Dubai now. Got it. <laughs> Do you see yourself in Dubai for a while? Yeah, I guess so. Especially given the pandemic, definitely. The reason why I'm being in Dubai is I'm still kind of trying to figure out which jurisdiction I really do want to qualify in. Right. I do have the option of qualifying in the UK since my degree is from there and not really sure about India because they have rules and regulations and maybe I'm looking into Canada. So, Oh, maybe. wow. That would be cool. That'll yeah. Be cool. Closer to you guys too. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so kind of going on sort of about um, things that have been going on in India, I'm just going to read this because I wrote this down and I don't want to really muck it up the way that I've said it. So recently there's been a lot happening in Indian government, um, which you've been sharing online. And the most recent um, was the, su the Supreme Court uh, putting a hold on the order of the Bombay High Court to acquit a man after observing that groping without skin to skin contact does not constitute a sexual assault under the protection of children from 
Sexual Offences Act. Now, that's a lot of words. Are you able to sort of help our listeners sort of understand what the hell is going on here? And if you wouldn't mind offering your thoughts on it? Yeah, um, I actually did some research and wrote something down so we can all understand this way better. Amazing. Thank you. Of course. So just as a background, what happened was um, there was a case brought between the bomb uh, to the Bombay High Court. So Bombay is a state in India. Mm -hmm. The case that was brought in front of them was a 39 year old man uh, had groped the breast of a 12 year old girl by inviting her to his house under the pretense of offering her fruits. So that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And that's why they were brought to the court. So obviously the entire case, like face value problematic, but to fully understand, we need to go into the legal principles. So bear with me. I will try not to make this boring. Okay. So basically what happened was the Bombay court did hold that the man was not guilty for sexual assault under Section 7 of the Prevention of um, Protection of Children from Sexual Offences Act. Sorry. Yeah. So it's called P-O-C-S-O. That's what we will call it from now. It's quite word- wordy. Yeah. So the reason they said that it is not sexual assault under this section of the POCSO is because the judge passing the sentence had to interpret the law. In a, so basically the section of the law, it states that any act would only amount to sexual assault if there is skin to skin physical contact between the accused and the victim uh, and the victim's private parts, basically. So that's exactly what the law says. And the second reasoning that the judge who said that he will not be held for sexual assault uh, was that the punishment under Section 7 of the POSCO okay. was stricter and um, you require more solid uh, proof and allegations had to be stronger, basically. But the thing is, he didn't get off scot-free. Like, the law did hold him guilty, but just oh, under okay. a different law. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah, so the law that did hold him guilty was the Indian Penal Code, it held him guilty for the offense of outraging a woman's modesty. And it's like a section 354 under the Indian Penal Code and not the POCSO. Right. People obviously kind of went off tangent, which is quite understandable because all yeah. the newsletters and all the tweets and literally everything on Instagram, especially stories and stuff that came mm-hmm. out was basically implying that it was a female judge who let the person get off scot-free, did not amount to sexual assault, but that's not the case. The reason why the lawyers and the Supreme Court in itself have to kind of uh, step in was because they wanted the case to be treated severely. And they also, but it's very important that people do understand that he did not get off scot-free. He just has a less, had a lesser punishment. The difference really is, like I said, the sentencing of the man so under the POCSO, the minimum uh, sentence is three years, whereas under the law that the judge held him accountable, mm-hmm. the minimum uh, sentence is only one year. So obviously that was not okay with, especially people from the community the girl was from. Right. They were completely outraged, completely understandable. Yeah. Of course, the Supreme Court, they intervened, they lodged a complaint, and then there's a petition. They said that, not holding this particular case as amounting to sexual assault is unprecedented. And if it doesn't get upheld as a sexual assault case, it would set a dangerous precedence. Do you agree with that? Uh, 100%, yes. Yeah. Because 
we were taught in law school as one of the basics that if we ever want to have draw up an argument or um, sometimes we were asked to write judgments as if we were the judges, we always had to refer back to case laws which had similar circumstances and we were supposed to reference those case laws so we would have a strong and valid argument. Right. So in the future, if something misfortunate like this happens, obviously the defendant's um, lawyers can always refer back to this case and that right. is so dangerous because it could go on and on and on and the precedent's not going to get broken. Absolutely. So, yeah. I think the problem is the way the law was written. There wasn't much place for interpretation. And the judge basically was actually, legally speaking, taking all my emotions aside, kind of only doing her work because the law did clearly state, unless there's physical contact, it is not sexual assault right. under the Children's Act. So is that is that wording where it was, unless if it's skin-to-skin contact, is that something that is up for discussion to be changed is it something that is never gonna like it's always gonna stay the same or does the um the pressure from the supreme court cause the bombay high court to re-look at like revise the the wording so um obviously it's not just the bombay high court who would get to you know sort of revise the whole wording this is the law in the whole of india Ah, as far as i'm aware yeah yeah it's the law in the whole of india because it's just the act and um unlike the u.s we have unified systems so our laws are the same throughout the country yeah yeah so um i guess it really has to be passed as a bill it should be up for a debate in the parliament but i don't know how how that's going to work or how much priority this is going to get with the country having a lot of other things going on at the moment like realistically speaking as a sexual assault victim myself in the country as well, realistically speaking, I'm I'm not sure. And I, if I'm being honest, I do not have hopes for it either. At least I'm glad that people are aware that this was not okay, but they do need to understand that it wasn't the judge's fault for right. the sentence to be passed. It was just the way the law is written. And this is the fundamental problem with any jurisdiction, in my opinion, because I feel like the laws and the policies, they're the ones that need to be rewritten and not the people. In, most cases at least not the people actually doing their job to uphold uphold them right of course yeah based off of something that what you just said that you were a victim yourself like did this help your drive towards wanting you know justice and and wanting to practice law yourself did that encourage that at all did it sort of does this you know is it triggering yeah, honestly not really ever given it much thought because the way I was raised in the country and the society I was raised it was just better to keep quiet than actually dwell on it so we kind of just like it's not just me I know I'm talking for most of my friends back home as well it's so unlike you though from everything that a a person seeing you online it it seems completely unlike you from personal experience I can say this much though like that was the society and the way I was brought up family or otherwise which is understandable because they've been brought up in that society and that sort of mindset as well right but I know you guys can back me up on this as well. Like women, usually when they come forward with something as sensitive as anything to do with sexual assault, sexual harassment, worst case rape, they're always silenced. And we always have the backlash of what if she's lying? Or there's always this one voice in your head that always goes like, they're not going to believe you. You're going to look like a joke. Yeah. It has happened to me multiple times. Every time I did actually 
open up to somebody about it not my parents but with close family uh, I remember once the first ever time I think I brought it up I was 14 the first thing they said is what were you wearing bear in mind I, I oh. hadn't hit puberty I was skinny I was a child yeah mm. I was literally a child you know so the first question they go is what were you wearing and it's so it's so bizarre you would have you would think that you know people would change with the times at least people around my age would kind yeah. of react to it better but recently ever at least um since I moved back it's not been the case and I'm just still completely shook and I haven't completely processed that it's still always pointing the finger at the victim and it's not yeah. just me I see others like friends or people I know trying to kind of address the situation either on social media or just person to person but it's always at the end of the day, it's victim blaming. Like maybe yeah. if you didn't wear that, maybe if you weren't drunk, maybe if you you were encouraging do them basically yeah, like you by your clothing. Exactly. So, so, so I mean, like we said, this is dangerous. Um, the the wording and everything, how it can affect future cases. But do you also think it influences and encourages dangerous behaviour elsewhere in the world? Because I'd sort of mentioned before to you how there's laws in the United States, for example, where a police officer can um, can rape a woman in their custody, like in certain states, not all states of the United States, but in certain ones, that's allowed without any repercussions. Um, they are allowed to do so and they are allowed to give consent on behalf of the woman that they are raping. And I just think we're in 2021. How has this mm-hmm. uh, uh, been something that's been completely overseen you know, it's just, I just don't understand how this works. And I just wonder how it feels being someone who practices law, being someone who wants to go down the route of human rights. And I'm very much assuming it would be um, pro women's rights as well. How that makes you feel and how that makes you like, I can only imagine the fire it starts to burn for you, like to want to just, you know, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's just weird um you, you should see the debates uh we have on feminism within law classes it's just a bunch of girls just so mad we're so mad we're almost <laughs> crying and yelling at each other it's about so understandable the problem though, why other, isn't it? It, that's so no, understandable no. like I feel I've had so I've I think even last night I heard something and I just cried and I was angry and it's another one of those moments as a woman and a young, I, th- I don't think it even matters if you're a young woman or an old woman, you get mad and enraged by this because it's just like, how dare you make us feel like we're different based on the gender that we are? It's just, mm. it's it's absurd. So I just wonder, do you feel like there is anything that can be done or will be done? Or do you really feel like this is how it's going to be for us? No, no, this is not how it's going to be for us. And I hope, hope to fucking God, it's not. No, that's <laughs> not what you and I are trying to do here. That's not what we're doing, though. No. Um, it's like I said before, I feel like we collectively, as a society, as the whole world, need to understand and kind of come to terms with the fact that we do need to strip down our policies and make better laws. We need to pressurize um, the lawmakers, the policymakers, to keep in mind everything that's happening, because these laws were written in Shakespeare and English. I don't. English is not my mother tongue. I had to learn English. It's my first language. Yes, <laughs> definitely my first language, but not my mother tongue. So, do, you, right. do you understand? It's so bizarre. Yeah. Like it's written in Shakespeare and English, and even like the stuff they quote back to Lord, um, Lord whoever. And they have their own way of saying it, which is not Shakespeare in English, but it's still old. It may as well be. 
<laughs> Literally, yes. No. So if you think about that, you can see that people are still deriving excuses. That's mm. what it is, by the way. It's pure bullshit excuses. They're right. deriving excuses dating way back to early 1900s. Mm. So if we don't make a change now, and it's like I've mentioned to you both before, as lawyers in, in law school, we're taught that our arguments would be more valid if we could previous cases with similar circumstances so right if more judges and more people kind of set a new precedence I feel like people especially in the legal sector would follow that path they will not have an excuse to go back to old and ancient laws which are just a bunch of crap yeah that's, mm-hmm. that's literally what they are of course there are some good laws but we can't keep focusing on that every time when the entire world is burning down yeah at least that's mm-hmm. my opinion no, I could not agree more. I also wanted to know, sort of talking about like the future, and you said that you wanted to, you know, go into family law and stuff. Do you have any ambition to sort of go to like, I don't, I don't know if it's the same terminology or not. Um, my only understanding is like justice RBG in the yeah, States. Like, yeah. Is that something that interests you or is that not so. quite the same thing? For the longest time, I did want to become a judge. But again, I still have to sort of figure out where exactly I want to qualify. Right. Okay. No. But then again, kind of realized. So I don't know if you know this, but I'm sure you know this. But RBG, she became the chief justice when she was sixty years old. Yes. Yes. How I watched a documentary on her the other night, and I was crying my eyes out with happiness because I was just like, "Thank you for everything." Yeah. But also, like sixty years—that's quite old. Yeah. Very old, especially with our generation. The pandemic, our diets. I, I hope you guys have better <laughs> diets than I do. <laughs> my family doesn't think I'm going to look past fifty with the way I eat and the way I just take care of myself. No, I'm just dehydrated half the time, running on seven glasses of coffee a day. No, I just I I did always want to qualify as a judge, but I didn't know that it has a benchmark, a certain mm-hmm. age that you need to um, attain before you actually do so. So I'm going to put that on pause since I have been mentioning this quite a lot I do want to however um, research and kind of try to help with making policies especially with regards to gender equality like that is something I would try to do if, if I've done that in my life that's all that's going to be on my gravestone not a loving mother <laughs> not a lovely wife nope that's all that's going to be my gravestone now um, that's definitely definitely my ambition but at the same time with the world just completely changing mm. I still feel like there's going to be things that I'm not going to be okay with and things I have to adapt with and be flexible with so I don't know but what I do know is that I'm still learning and unlearning myself mm-hmm. and for me to ever move forward in my career or even personally speaking I need to have an open mind mm-hmm. and just hope for the best and just stay true to myself really Mm. Yeah. Do you know what I was saying to Re earlier? What I really enjoy is previous to meeting you, I, I did have a look on your Instagram to try and find out a little bit more about you. And also um, on this podcast already, I feel like I've learned so much. What I enjoy is that I feel educated when I look at your Instagram. I feel like you're not um, you're not being like, oh, you should know this. This is really bad if you not don't know this. patronising it's it's like okay you don't know this here's information please have a read and you're trying to inform people which is such a like better way to breath of fresh air it's really it's really nice because um there are so many topics I think that you talk about that like you said are just not widely spoken enough about and I really I think it's great I think people should go and 
follow you on Instagram and I'm sure we'll plug you. (laughs) Following on um, talking about your social media, as well as um, the educational things, I've seen that you've travelled a little bit and obviously you've lived in multiple different countries. Has this shaped your views on law and of life? And is that something that you enjoy doing, travelling? Because you were saying that you would continue, you might go to Canada next. Yeah. I always I always make a joke saying that I'm a Sagittarius. So, you know, I've got commitment issues, which is why I kind of move a lot. But <laughs> yes. I know Reed's one as well. <laughs> yeah, so I do, I do enjoy moving a lot. With regards to if it has um, made me think about law differently, definitely, yes. Because most of the countries that I have lived, which is basically India and Malaysia, which about my homes I feel like since they're developing countries they still do have a long way to go especially in comparison to the UK where you know there's just so much freedom and not much restriction taking that and looking at India and Malaysia and you're just like okay yes one since I've lived in the countries I know where they're kind of sort of coming from like I know where their values are coming from and I know why people have certain mindsets like I understand it doesn't mean I am okay with it or I accept it but definitely understand that but Mm -hmm. also seeing it from a different perspective I do know that we could benefit better from being a bit more progressive especially when it comes to gender equality or um, inclusion of all sexes especially with those two topics which I I personally give preference to we could definitely come a long way but I also do know that we're a long way from actually addressing that, but it doesn't seem impossible. And with that, I'm kind of glad, like at least it doesn't seem impossible. Mm. And going back to the fact that I did live in a country where there weren't much restrictions, I kind of had to realize and accept the fact that with freedom, freedom is just very easily misused. For example, freedom of speech. Literally anyone can say anything and get away with it. You could call me racist stuff and get away with it. I could say stuff to you and get away with it because we both have the same freedom of speech. So I think it's sort of like trying to find the right balance because there's always going to be some sort of imbalance regardless of how many people misuse it or not. I don't think we're ever going to be completely satisfied, but at the same time, there is hope. And with that, I think we're supposed to be satisfied for now. There is definitely hope. I think it's good that you do feel that way because I feel mm. like, well, I think if you had said, yeah, there's no hope, I'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I think yeah. I probably would have felt better. But I think if there's something reassuring when you hear someone in medicine be hopeful, if there's something yeah. reassuring when you hear someone in science say something's hopeful so knowing that someone feels that there's hope in law as well, something that's meant to protect everyone, I think that's a very positive thing to take from this personally anyway I feel a lot more (laughs) hopeful myself (laughs) no no I feel like definitely especially if you look into developing countries um most of the new parents now and like my parents as well they're more inclined to send their children to get the best of education abroad and when children like myself go back home we kind of try and have this conversation with our parents conversation we should have had the minute I was groped or the minute I heard the first racist thing that was said to me, like we tend Mm. to have these conversations and they are 
faced with truth that they don't really want to be faced with but they mm-hmm. don't really have a choice personally speaking like that has helped me a lot like trying to explain to my parents what is what and mm-hmm. how I feel about a certain thing and how they need to be more vocal about this with their siblings and so on and so forth obviously it might not seem like a big thing but I always say this if it affects at least one person that's why I do my Instagram posts by the way mm-hmm. if it at least affects one person that's more than more than enough for me I'm not going to aim for world domination overnight, no. I I think that's completely the right mentality to have. And I think a lot of us have been feeling the same way that sharing through social media, if you're only educating your friends, that's still one more than you, Mm. you know, than yesterday, you know. So I think that's definitely a a great way to look at it. I also wanted to know sort of how that feels for you, sort of being outspoken in Dubai, because... I suppose from our outside knowledge, Dubai is this big, amazing, shiny place. Yeah. But that also has sort of some very different laws or rules, shall we say, about how women can be, I guess. True. Yes. But um, Dubai is really, really, really diverse. Like I could mm. walk to the street and find five other Indians or I could go to this one particular area and just find Egyptians. Like it's really, really diverse. So but keeping that in mind, um, most of the country expats who are here, they've been brought up with the same mindset that I've been brought up back in India or back in whichever developing countries they've come from. Mm-hmm. And they kind of just sort of have this mindset and this influence from their societies, which Again, like I said, totally because I have traveled and lived away from home, have I been able to identify that this is not their fault? It's just they they would have to definitely unlearn a lot of things. But that being said, <laughs> it's just so funny that you asked me about how it is to be a woman in Dubai. So every time I do try and have the conversation, like try to discuss something I posted on my Instagram in a party or just a gathering, sort of like, what do you guys think about this? Either I'm being rude or I'm being a buzzkill. I remember this one particular gathering where I was sat in a chair and I had a full circle of men around me and I had to explain to them why I was pro-feminism. And I was like, it's, it's just basically I'm saying what you guys have, same rights I wanted. And it's just so bizarre. Yeah. Like you're having to explain that to your friends who are the same age as well yeah so when I was in Dubai one of the guys there I can't remember what I said but he turned to me and oh are you one of those feminists or something and I was just like (laughs) um yeah I am (laughs) yeah I am one of those (laughs) yeah one of those yeah I was like and it was kind of like it was a bit shocking for me at the moment because fortunately in my life most of the men are pretty much like feminists like my my dad and my brother and stuff and my friends elsewhere that if I'm not fighting for my rights they're fighting for my rights if that makes sense so it was kind of crazy to to me or or a bit like a bit of a huh like moment to have that question so it that's kind of why I asked I wondered if you'd had any experience with that but wow people around you in a party I think I actually have pictures I can DM it to you but no that actually happened and I've been invited to lesser parties since but hey I have no regrets we still move it's their loss but it's just so so crazy you see all these grown men and not even grown they're the same age as you and Mm. you're like I'm trying to tell you the right you have 
is also right that I feel like your sister should have. That's mm. it. That's all I'm saying. I think yeah. it's quite, there's also something quite um, nice though, like you said about them being this age or younger because they're more impressionable. So it's better they learn now than you have to have this conversation with them when they're 50 or something. So exactly. I think that's quite good. I kind of want to go a little bit off topic of all of this and just, I want to talk about your fashion, if that's mm. all right. <laughs> you have some incredible looks that you serve on Instagram. You have a couple of accounts that, um, that I follow <laughs> and and some of the, the some of the looks that you serve are complete like legally blonde meets clueless meets something of the R&B like world it's just sort of oh it's just a breath of fresh air I just want to know where does this come from actually an act of rebellion Don't tell my <laughs> <laughs> no but um I was born and raised in India I don't know, I think it's okay if I say this. So basically, since I was born and raised there, I was forced to live in this society where I had to dress a certain way, look a certain way. I remember, um, true story, I was kicked out of one of my clubs in school. I think it was a tennis club, something like that, fifth grade, right? I don't remember, but it was one of the clubs get kicked out of it because apparently they did not like the way my mother dressed because my father had no control over the way my mother dressed bear in mind she was wearing jeans that was not allowed <laughs> wow how dare a common woman wears jeans where is this coming from and my mom's a petite woman like she's like 4 11 it, it's jeans it covers the whole leg like, yeah it kind of like really really pissed me off I remember that day very clearly I was class rep everybody from a very young age have had this impression that I don't speak my mother tongue quite well FYI, speak it, write it, read, whole thing, right? My yeah. dad would actually disown me if I don't do it. So I'm always okay with it. So I remember hearing the teachers like speak about that and like how the way my mom dressed and everything in my language very quickly. And I kind of grasped it. And I was. And they thought you couldn't understand. Yeah, I didn't like fully understand because it was speaking really fast, but I did. And I remember we had like these badges where I was class rep at that time. So pissed off. I did not know how to act take the badge I throw it at the teacher's face call my mom and she's like we need to talk to your mom I was like no you have a problem with me you will talk to me and this is what me eight or nine and my mom's like Vina what are you doing you can't be rude blah 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 and I'm like we need to go right now I will explain everything later luckily my mom but uh, my parents have always you know taken my word whenever so that's always been my saving grace and when I went out and I told my mom what happened she was obviously very heartbroken and she's like oh I'm so sorry like I actually did something that would actually affect your club and I'm like I don't fucking care yeah I don't want to no. be part of the club <laughs> I don't like they don't deserve me yeah, and, yeah no it's so crazy so yeah it kind of like started off with that like how I do love wearing my daisy clothes my saris I do absolutely love them I wish with all my heart I knew how to drape it without my mother's help but fortunately I do not we'll learn hopefully in mm -hmm. time kind of started from that and then it just went from every time I watch a really nice film I'm just like yep okay that's what I'm gonna do and then before you knew it I had a whole Pinterest board and then I'm just having all of them come to life and I'm like yes this, this is the most creative I will get I'm not a musician I'm not a dancer I'm not I'm not a creative artist but when it comes to fashion this is the most creative I'm gonna You've get got it. <laughs> And I'm okay with that. So your no, your okay um that. your passion with uh Pinterest is fashion. Yeah, just fashion. Home yeah. decor as well. And mm -hmm. um, we recently started with plants. Hopefully I don't kill them. It's very recent. <laughs> so I'll let you guys know how it goes. <laughs> well, I just want to sort of wrap this up on our sort of final question that we ask all of our guests. And it's a bit of a broad one, but we like to ask 
what makes up your circle? Um, I'm always very keen to kind of learn new things, but I don't mean just like with current events. I mean like actual learning. Um, I'm currently doing a behavioral economics course, the free oh. one I found on edX. So I don't think I've stopped studying in the academic sense since I first started school mm-hmm. which was three and a half years so definitely that kind of defines me I don't know I honestly do not know why I do that but I do quite enjoy just knowing new things and I, I know it probably will not help me right now but you never know like knowledge is never a waste no so, definitely not it's power yeah, yeah no definitely <laughs> so definitely that my Taylor Swift music I cannot live without them so definitely. Also, I don't know if you guys have streamed Evermore, but it's it's really good. You should definitely do it. So I um, don't know why I'm promoting her on your <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I, definitely. I feel like this may cause a rift between us, but and I'm sure our mutual friend has never told you this, but I've not a fan. No, no. <laughs> it's okay. I like you too much for that to matter anymore. So <laughs> I'll let that slide just this once. <laughs> so your your circle sounds like it's made up of a lot of knowledge and Taylor Swift. <laughs> yes. What so, a combination. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the way that we like to end all of our episodes is by um dedicating the episode to either a small business, a charity, or an organization. And because you are our guest, we have asked you to tell us one that is um important to you and what you'd like to dedicate this episode to. So if you'd like to tell us what that is. So it's a Dubai-based small business, although it ships internationally. It's called Legacy by Lene. Lene is the person running this. It is a female-owned business, and I genuinely love her products. Uh, It is handcrafted skincare products, and she's really great, and you guys should definitely check her out. Cool. Mm. Is she so she's on Instagram, is she? Is that how can people can check her out? She is. So um I will send you the link and I will also give you the Instagram handle for the page. Perfect. So we're gonna be well. we'll be displaying that right now um on the YouTube video and it will be on our post on Instagram after this episode is released. So please make sure to go check that out. Please also go and check out Ravina's Instagram too. You don't want to miss all of her information on human rights and all of her amazing outfits as well. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you so, so much for coming on today's episode and chatting with us. We've absolutely loved having you and hopefully you'll come back. Yeah, hopefully. Thank you guys for having me and thank you for actually making an initiative and making time and effort. Honestly, like it, it's a huge deal and I'm really, really, really proud of you guys. Well, everyone, as always, check out um, our socials, check out YouTube, make sure you're subscribed, go and stream on Spotify and we'll see you in our next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.